This morning I want to, I believe God laid on my heart to speak about evangelizing, evangelism. If you notice the uh, word angel is in the middle of that. Just for your information, the word the letters USA are also in the middle of Jerusalem. Just saying. In any event, the word angel is in the middle there. Evangelism. And at this church and uh, fellowship we belong to, we have three uh, three words that we use: evangelize, equip, empower. Uh, win, build, and send. So this morning I hope uh, to win your minds and uh, equip you, build you up, so that when you leave this place, you're not the same as when you came in, and when you leave this place, you will be bold, and you will be equipped, and you'll have something to give to somebody else. That's the vision of this church is to win souls, to touch lives, people that are not saved, people that don't know Jesus and need to know Jesus. That's our calling. That's our job. Anybody can do it. Anybody. I remember years ago, my brother John uh, was uh, partners in a, or worked at a, a little, uh, what they call a bodega back in New York City, a little neighborhood shop. And... Uh, they went one day to a sign shop, and they go inside, and behind the counter at the sign shop was this sign. It said, a business without a sign is a sign of no business. Somebody else also said, um, uh, without advertising, a terrible thing happens. Nothing. When uh, my first pastor went to uh, Africa, to uh, Pioneer Church there in uh, Kenya, he said they didn't have a word for advertising. He said uh, what they would do is they would say, they'd promise, I will make mention of your name. How many know that word of mouth advertising works pretty well here in this country? You see billboards, you see TV ads all the time. They're trying to get you to buy in. They're trying to get you to buy their product. I remember one day, mocking the TV commercials. Oh, yeah, everyone really needs that, when in reality they don't. There was a company that went into uh, uh, some third-world country, and they got a bunch of the local people to come and work for a week. They got their paychecks, and they didn't come back to work next week. So what happened? Bosses go into the village. What happened? What happened? Well, we got enough money. We don't need any more. So what they did is they gave out catalogs of stuff you could buy with the prices. Immediately the people came back to work because they got the bright idea, hey, we need more money because we want to buy some of these things. But until they got that incentive and they got those catalogs, that was it. There's no more motivation. That said, we want to advertise Jesus. I was talking with Kathy the other day and I, uh, we were talking to a, a guy at the store and uh, trying to get the conversation around towards Jesus. And uh, I told Kathy, you know, a lot of times when I'm trying to tell people about Jesus, I wind up talking about myself. And that's not what I want to do. I want to talk about Jesus. I want to tell people about Jesus. But with that said, 
I know what Jesus has done in my life and what he's still doing and what he wants to do. And so that's what I try to share. But more importantly, we want to share Jesus. So with that, whoops, Matthew chapter 28. Whoops, back up one. This is the uh, last chapter of Matthew's gospel. Verse 16 and 17, and read along, it says, The eleven disciples went away into Galilee. They were in Jerusalem. They had to go quite a ways to go up to Galilee. It's not like a day's walk around the block. It was quite a ways to go. They went into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 31, before the crucifixion, after the Last Supper, they left the upper room, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus tells them that he's going to fulfill the prophecy of the Old Testament from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, where it says, God speaking through the prophet says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And Jesus tells his disciples, you guys are all going to leave me. You're my best friends in the whole world. And I know you love me, and I know you know that I love you, but you're all going to abandon me. (laughs) Peter says, well, I won't. But they actually all did. But he says in verse 32 of Matthew chapter 26, this is before his crucifixion, he says, but after I have been raised from the dead, I will go before you in Galilee. They didn't get it. Like raised from the dead, crucifixion. He's our champion. Everybody knows the story of David and Goliath. Little David goes out there as a young guy. Goliath is like supposed to be nine foot tall, and he's gigantic. And David kicks up five stones because Goliath had four brothers, and he slings it and whack right in the head. Goliath falls down, but he's not dead yet. David has to go get Goliath's sword and chop Goliath's head off. And then he picks it up and shows the enemies, hey, here's your champion. So these guys, they're Jewish, Jesus' disciples. And they're thinking, Jesus is our champion. We're going to kick the Romans' butts and get them out of here. We're going to be great. We're going to be a great kingdom again. Oh, they're thinking of Solomon's kingdom. It's, whoa, man, this is going to be awesome. And Jesus gets killed. Wait a minute. That's not how it's supposed to go, or so they thought. But Jesus assures them. He says, well, guess what, guys? All this is going to happen, and I'm going to raise from the dead. And they didn't get it until after the resurrection, obviously. Because in chapter 28, the same chapter in verse 7, on resurrection day, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary in verse 7, they go to the tomb, and they're going to, you know, do what they can to anoint Jesus' body. And there's an angel there, an angel from God. And this guy, this angel was so awesome that the Roman soldiers who were on guard, it says that they fell down as though they were dead. They freaked out. They were overwhelmed with the presence, not of God himself, but just an angel. I had somebody tell me one time, man, I want to see an angel. Oh, really? <laughs> you ought to read what happens when people see angels in the Bible. They fell down as though they were dead. 
And the angel tells Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, go quickly, tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. Indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see, they will see him. They will see Jesus, the resurrected Savior. It's not over. He died, yes, but that's not the end of the story. This is mind-boggling. I just got a text message this morning from my brother John in Florida that a good friend of mine just passed away yesterday. He was a big guy. He died of cancer. This guy was so big, we were playing touch football on the street one day. I coached him in weightlifting in high school. He'd push weights up like nobody's business. Oh, I can't do it anymore. Yes, you can. I would push him, and he'd push. He says, I tried out for the football team, and guys were just bouncing off of me. And here's this big guy. We're playing football one day, and I go to block him, and he goes with his arm, just goes, boom, and knocks me flying. And then he goes, oh, sorry, Joe. <laughs> but here Jesus was dead, but now he's alive again. And this is our hope that since he rose from the dead, the most important event in all of human history is the birth, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That gives us hope that this life is not all there is, that when we slip into eternity, we have a hope that we'll be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. On the way... As the Mary and the other Mary are going to tell the disciples, Jesus meets them. Surprise! Hi, guys! They're, they're not even thinking that, well, he's going to be in Galilee. And on the way, they meet him. Oh, there's Jesus! Glory to God! And Jesus tells them, tell everybody to go to Galilee, and I'll meet them there. I'll see you later. But before that, Mark's gospel and, and Matthew's gospel have less details after the resurrection than Luke and John. They have other things that happened and the stories that they tell of like Thomas saying, you know, well, I'm not going to believe he rose from the dead unless I stick my finger in his uh, hands of his holes in his hands and put my hand in his side. And lo and behold, a week later, Jesus walks through the wall and comes out, hi, guys. <laughs> He says, Thomas, come here. And he sees Jesus with these mortal wounds in his body, but he's still alive. And what is Thomas's response? He says, my Lord and my God. The angel, when he told uh, Mary and the other Mary that he's not here, he calls him Lord. He says, the Lord is risen. This angel knew who Jesus was. He says, the Lord, this is the angel's boss. Tells the angels what to do. Tells everybody what to do, really, but not everybody obeys, but the angels obey. And he calls him Lord. Here's the, the king of the creator of the world. Came to earth, became a human being like us. Died an awful, horrible death, but rose again from the dead to take his place where he was supposed to be. So what did the disciples do? What did Mary and the other Mary do? They obeyed God. Thank God for that. They obeyed. They had an appointment. 
Some Bible scholars think that Jesus told them, he told them to go to Galilee and he told them beforehand what mountain to go to. Some scholars believe it was Mount Tabor where the, where the uh, transfiguration of Jesus Christ took place. Some think it was the Mount of the Beatitudes where Jesus preached on the Sea of Galilee and the people listened there. <clears throat> a book at home called Israel from the Air. Galilee's a beautiful looking place. Beautiful area. And so Jesus, the reason he told them to go wait for him on the mountain is because he wanted to have a private meeting with these guys. These are his friends. Praise God. <clears throat> Years ago when we used to aggressively go street preaching, we would use this... Uh, Scripture from Hebrews chapter 9. As it is appointed for man to die once. We tell people, you have an appointment with death. You, every one of us, have an appointment with death. We're not, if Jesus doesn't come back and the rapture doesn't happen in our lifetime, we all are going to have an appointment with death. Every one of us. The older you get, the closer the appointment gets. Praise God. But after this, the judgment. So are you ready? We tell him, are you ready to stand before Jesus and judgment? What's he going to say about you? And we didn't win too many people that way, but <laughs> I was working with a backslidden young man one time. <clears throat> I didn't know he was backslidden. He's a new guy at work. I said, hey, David, this was his name. I said, you know, without Jesus Christ in your life, you're going to hell. It wasn't a very, you know, pleasant thing to say, but it's like it hit him. He says, oh, man. And he told me, well, I'm backslidden. I said, well, let's pray. So he started coming to church. Then his brother started coming to church. Then his brother got weird, and then he got weird, and then I never saw them again. What a shame. But the rest of Hebrews chapter 9 says, because it is appointed for men once to die, and after this the judgment, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from or without reference to sin. Glory to God. Jesus is coming back. He definitely is coming back. No matter what people say, no matter what people think, he is going to come back. But when he comes back, those who are eagerly awaiting for him will rejoice with joy unspeakable and exceeding joy. I don't know about you, but I need some joy in my life. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit. I had probably one of the worst weeks of my life in the longest time this past week. I almost went crazy. I almost called Pastor Wayne and said, you know what, Pastor Wayne? Forget it. I give up. I'm not coming back. This is it. It's over. I'm gone. I'm done. That's what was going through my mind. Anybody ever been there? Amen. But we have hope. That's why our church is called Living Hope. Praise God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6. Paul writes and he says, after being seen by Peter. And why did Jesus meet with Peter? Guess where they met? In Galilee. 
on the Sea of Galilee. Peter's out there with six other disciples and said, well, Jesus hasn't showed up. I'm going fishing. Going back to his old life. I'm going fishing. Well, okay, we'll go with you. So they go with them. They're fishing. They fish all night. They don't catch nothing. There's a guy on the shore. Hey, guys, catch anything? Oh, well, come on in. I got breakfast ready. It's Jesus. And the Bible says Peter's naked or he's stripped to the waist or whatever it is. So instead of waiting for the boat to get in, Jesus tells them, put your nets on the other side. They catch a bunch of fish. They're having a hard time. And he realizes it's Jesus. And so he jumps into the water and swims to shore. And what does Jesus do? Three times Peter denied Christ. So three times Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And so this is what Paul was writing about when he says, after being seen by Peter, he was seen by over 500 brethren at one time, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep or literally died. Over 500 eyewitnesses saw Jesus after the resurrection. They saw him ascend bodily up into the clouds, and two angels had to come and say, guys, wake up, wake up. There's work to do. It's the Great Commission. They worshiped him. And we'll get to the Great Commission in just a bit. But Jesus had appointed that day, you guys meet me there, 500 eyewitnesses saw him. Anybody ever hear of C.T. Studd? Missionary to India, Africa, and other parts in China. He was one of seven young men from Cambridge University who heard Hudson Taylor speak and make an appeal for missionaries to China. He only died in 1931, less than 100 years ago. He was only 70 years old. He died from complications of gallstones. But before he evangelized and before he got saved, before he went and did what he did for God, he was a high school student when he got saved. He was about 14 years old. D.L. Moody had come to England, and C.T. Studd's dad got saved. He was a wealthy man. He had two brothers. An evangelist came to the house to visit with them and convinced C.T. Studd and his two brothers, all three of them, to get saved. He said, I became born again. He knew the day, he knew the moment when he got saved and he became born again. As an aside, or just so you know, if you don't know when you got born again, you need to be born again. I know when I got saved. I know when I got born again. It was Thanksgiving Day, 1981, in Flagstaff, Arizona, in somebody's living room. I got saved. I acknowledged my need before God. I received Jesus as my Savior. That's the day I got saved. If you don't know the day you got saved, maybe you better think about, am I really saved? Hopefully you are. Hopefully, if you can't remember, there was a day when you did accept Jesus as your Savior. That said, C.T. Studd's brother became gravely ill. C.T. Studd, in his memoirs, he writes, he says, I lived in a backslidden state for about five years. And then his brother got sick and almost died. And he was, at that time, Mr. Studd was a famous cricket player from England. It's very famous. But he says, what's all the fame worth when a man comes to face eternity? Think about 
eternity. While he was in China, these seven students from Cambridge University, they went to China with Hudson Taylor in 1885. While he was away in China, his dad passed on. And he received a substantial inheritance, but he gave most of it away. What use is it to have a whole bunch of money if you're not using it for God? Went to Africa and India. He founded the Worldwide Evangelization Crusade, uh, which is still in existence today. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem, and they're going to kill me there. And Peter says, not so, Lord. How many have ever said no to God? <laughs> you don't win that argument too often. But God gives us the choice. God gives us free will. We can say no to God, but it's <clears throat> unwise. <laughs> Peter got rebuked. And Jesus goes on in verse 26. He says to Peter and to all of us, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a person or a man give in exchange for his soul? We have lots of examples throughout history of people that gave up everything. We were watching a show on uh, the John Ankerberg uh, show last Sunday night, and uh, there's an a, a organization that records the Bible in native languages. And the, the president of this organization was making an appeal for finances. He says, every place we go, the first people that go in are murdered. Every place we go, the first people that bring the gospel to the, in the native language to these people, whatever country it is, they're murdered. But then the next people that go in, there's an opening. Verse 17, it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. That's the response every soul should have when you meet Jesus, when you hear about Jesus and how much he loves us. I could not believe that God loved me when I first heard somebody tell me, God loves you. And I thought, I've done too many terrible things in my young life. All this mess. God couldn't possibly love me. God wanted to punish me, I thought. It got to the strangest. I was high on drugs one night and out of the closet comes this great big guy. I was hallucinating, of course, with a sword. And I knew I'm worthy of death. This is before I got saved. My B.C. days was kind of crazy. And I just bowed my head and, yep, okay, go ahead. And I looked up, he was gone. But one day, years later, about a year and a half later or so, someone stopped me on the street and said, you know what, God loves you. And I didn't believe it until I read that God proves it by sending his son to die in my place, in your place. That's how we know God loves us. Praise God. They worshipped. But then it says, but some doubted. In the Greek, there's only one other place where this word is used. And it is the word distazo, which means to stand in two ways or to stand at a crossroads and choose which way are you going to go. 
The only other place it's used is in Matthew chapter 14, verse 31, where Jesus comes walking on the water, and in one of the Gospels it says it's like it's going to pass by the disciples. They're out in the middle of the, of the, the Sea of Galilee in the storm, and Jesus comes walking by on the water. Hi, right, guys, see you on the other side. But they, when they see him, freak out. It's a ghost! Ah, they believe in ghosts. And, they, and Jesus tells them, you guys, it's me. Hey, what are you guys all freaked out about? It's me. And they say, Peter says, Jesus, if that's really you, then call me to come out onto the water. Okay, come on out. Peter gets out of the boat, and he starts walking on the water. And then he looks around, and he sees the waves and the wind, and he starts sinking. Lord, save me! He's a fisherman. He knows how to swim. But he calls on Jesus to save him. And Jesus grabs him. They get back in the boat. And Jesus says to him, why did you doubt? It implies an uncertainty in which to take. As we go along in our walk with God, you will come to a crossroads every once in a while. Which way should I go? I suggest you pray and ask God. Which way should I go? What should I do in this situation? I exhort you, ask God, pray, seek God's face, seek God's opinion and direction. What should I do? Which way shall I proceed, God? I have these choices. Please show me. Try fasting and praying. The first church I started serving God and was called the crossroads for that very reason. The pastor said, that's why I called it the crossroads, because I want people to come to a place where they choose God's path. Praise God. <clears throat> it's related to a Greek word, meteorizo, where we get the word uh, meteor from, and it's found in uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 29, where it says, don't have an anxious mind. It literally means to be suspended in the air. In Luke chapter 12, it goes on to say, Jesus says, fear not, O little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. How many know that we're called into a government, that we're not citizens of of the world or citizens of earth necessarily. Our citizenship, the Bible says, is in heaven. We're supposed to um, live in allegiance to Jesus. Seek first, in verse 31 of Luke chapter 12, seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. Mr. C.T. Studd was a contemporary of George Mueller. He gave away he gave George Mueller quite a bit of money out of his inheritance for his orphanages. George Mueller and C.T. Studd were both of the opinion that we don't go out asking people for money. We believe God gives us direction. We start going and God will provide. And it worked. And it still works. Praise God. The problem is we're stuck in time and God's in eternity. And he sees the whole thing. We just see a little bit at a time. But be anxious for nothing. In Vine's expository dictionary, 
of Greek New Testament words, this word meteorizo means being anxious through a distracted state of mind, wavering between hope and despair. I don't know about you, but I've been there where it's so frustrating, don't know what to do, anxious and waiting for God to move. But God has his own timing. Anybody ever been distracted? I'm easily distracted. I don't know. Maybe I had, uh, <clears throat> maybe I have attention deficit disorder. I don't know. <laughs> I, I like to try to focus on something, and I can't think about too many things at the same time. Or maybe I don't want to. <laughs> Praise God. But God wants us to focus on Him. He's good. He's the fountain of all goodness. And He's got our best interest in mind because our best interest is the furtherance of the kingdom of God. Verse 18, it says, And Jesus came. In some versions it says, Jesus came near. He didn't stand afar off. Hallelujah. Thank God Jesus comes near. In your darkest hour, Jesus is still there. He says, I will never leave you, never forsake you. Even when it looks like he's not there. Even when it feels like you're down in a dark hole and you're yelling, Jesus, where are you? And he's still there. May not seem like it, but we walk by faith, not by sight. And he came near and spoke to them, saying, um, Only authority in Israel has been given to me. No, he didn't. He said, All authority has been given to me in heaven. And on earth, everywhere, the whole universe. That's how powerful Jesus' sacrifice is. The universe is gigantic, or as my granddaughters say, ginormous. It's, it's beyond comprehension. My sister sent us a Christmas card, and on the back of the card is a photograph of a cluster of stars somewhere out in the universe. It's like, wow. And, and, there's actually not stars. There are little galaxies all over the place, and galaxies are not little. All authority. Jesus paid the price to redeem the entire universe. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, There's only one God and only one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Think about this. Jesus existed before time. Jesus created everything. And then Jesus came to earth and took the form of a man, became a human being like us in order to pay the penalty for our sins, in order to, to uh, comfort us, in order to let us know that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. To let us know that through temptation, you can make it. There is a way of escape. Praise God. He came to give us hope. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, For in him, and I used to think it says, dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead, but it says, in him dwells continually all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. It's mind-boggling that God became a human being like us, tempted in all ways, yet without sin. 
Not only that, as God-man, all authority was given to him. It had been stolen. He is Lord of all. Brian's Dictionary says the word Lord is curios, the owner or master. That is someone to whom services do on any grounds. In other words, God has a legal right to ask you and I to do anything, anytime, any place, anywhere. He has the right, He has the legal grounds to ask us, will you do this for me? Will you tell somebody about Jesus? Will you give something? Will you do? Will you pray? Will you spend time in the Word with me? Will you think on God? Hallelujah. After the resurrection, in John chapter 20, verse 28, and I said this, mentioned this already, that Thomas calls Jesus Lord and God. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches and says, God has made Jesus Lord of all. In Acts chapter 10, verse 36, Peter breaks the law and goes into Cornelius' house because it was an appointed God-given time. It was miraculous. Cornelius was a Gentile. He saw an angel. He had been doing good works. And the angel tells him, your good works have come up before heaven as a memorial. Go send for Peter. Uh, he's in uh, somebody's house over there in Joppa, I forget. Simon the Tanner. That's still there. This is not made up fairy tales. This is real historical stuff. Hallelujah. Go inquire at Simon the Tanner's house for Peter. He's going to come and tell you all the words of eternal life. In the meantime, Peter's up on the roof, and he sees a vision of a, 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 a sheet comes down with unclean animals. And in those days, you didn't go to the supermarket. You had to kill the animal yourself and clean it up so you could cook it and eat it. And God gives him a revelation. Don't worry about a thing. This guy's coming to the door right now. Uh, they're going to go with them. Goes to Cornelius' house. And he says to Cornelius and his family about Jesus. Jesus is Lord of all. And the Bible says that while he was yet speaking, the Holy Ghost fell on everyone in Peter and Cornelius' house. And he said, we know that because we hear them speaking in tongues. Hallelujah. We need to speak in tongues. Can you say amen? We are a Pentecostal church here. We're non-denominational, but we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. After this, after these incidences, the word curious or curios was never used of anyone else except Jesus. I love... Uh, uh, What's that fellow on the TV? Uh, I can picture him right now. He's always uh, says, uh, his wife's name is Gloria. What's his name? Kenneth and Gloria Copeland. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. He really is. And someday we're going to get to meet him face to face. So these guys are standing there, and Jesus tells them this. And they're not ashamed of the cross because they saw their champion defeated 
But then they saw him as the champion, as the resurrected Lord, as the Savior, as the glorified one. They saw him alive from the dead. I don't know about you, but if I knew somebody was dead and they came back to life, came to see me uh, in, in, in person, I would be um, pretty amazed, to say the least. But they're not ashamed of him anymore, and neither who should we be. So as a result of all this authority, Jesus goes on to give them instructions. Go. Don't sit. But go, therefore, because of all this authority, and make disciples of all the nations, not just a few of them. Make disciples. Now, the word disciples is a student or a learner or follower, a close follower of Jesus. We need to follow Jesus as closely as we can. So Dr. Mike Petcher, the pastor of Living Hope Family Church on 22nd Street, which is our, the, our, the mother church which sent us out, uh, he has a saying, you can be as close to God as you want. It's up to you. You can be as close to Jesus. You can walk as close to Jesus as you want. Hallelujah. I hope and pray that it's your desire to be as close to Jesus as you can get. Go, therefore, make disciples or students or learners and baptize them in the authority or in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And why does he put this there? Because baptism is a symbol. In some countries, it's a death penalty if you get baptized. Saudi Arabia, if you get baptized, it's a death penalty. You're not allowed to evangelize in Saudi Arabia. They'll cut your head off. A friend of mine, who was actually my best man uh, at my wedding, worked in Saudi Arabia. He said, I witnessed a beheading. To them, it's no big deal. You baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And I was reading a commentary, and the reason it says the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost is because this is an acknowledgement that what it says in this book is from God, that God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He was in the beginning. All things were created for Him and by Him. And without Him, nothing <coughs> that has come into existence was made. <coughs> Excuse me. Baptism is a seal of a commitment to follow Jesus. Matthew Henry's commentary says it's an oath. When you get baptized, you're taking an oath. I am promising to follow Jesus when you get baptized. That's why we don't baptize babies, because they can't do that. They don't know. Make disciples. This is the mission. Many, many years ago, I heard... Uh, prophecy. Someone spoke in tongues and then the interpretation came. The nations go to the grave without hope. I saw a film about Hudson Taylor. It was in China and uh, <clears throat> one of the Chinese natives. And by the way, these uh, one of the things that Hudson Taylor and these Cambridge Seven guys did is they dressed like Chinamen. They assimilated into the culture so that they could reach the people somehow, some way. And this Chinaman comes up and confronts Hudson Taylor and says, my grandfather and my father went to the graves wondering about this. How long 
have the people in your country known about this? This is probably um, about 1,800 years. Why has it taken you people so long to come and tell us? It's like, whoa. My neighbor across the street was raised in a certain religion, and now he doesn't believe in God at all. So I don't know how to reach him. My neighbor next to us, him and his wife, are youth pastors at the University of Arizona. We pray for them. My next-door neighbor on the other side uh, goes to a big church. I haven't seen him in a while. I don't know who's in this house. But I wonder, God, my neighbor's saved. My coworkers, I try and steer the conversation to salvation. One coworker's daughter is an ordained minister. So what kind of church does she, is she ordained in? I don't know, he says, but I'll argue with her a lot. <laughs> Great. Praise God. Nations go to the grave without hope. Then we end here in verse 20. This is, this is the mission. First, go out and evangelize. Once we win them, teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So that's our job. Once we win people, we, that's why we have Bible study Wednesday nights. We're trying to teach the things of God, how to serve God, what we can do, how we can prepare ourselves. Praise God. And this is known as the pastoral work. In every Home for Christ organization, uh, they are in about third restricted countries in addition to a lot of other countries. So they have uh, what they call creative access. So they, they're in some countries like Saudi Arabia, you're not legally permitted to openly preach the gospel. China just enacted some more new laws uh, restricting uh, uh, evangelism. And uh, uh, some certain countries in Europe are pretty close to the gospel because they've got old, ancient, established traditions of men taught as the oracles of God. And so they, they do creative access. And in a lot of places, they, they, once they find somebody, they go house to house. Once they find somebody that receives Jesus, then they try and establish a house church, what they call Christ groups. So last year, uh, we get the annual report. They had, uh, I believe it was um, uh, 19, million, 19 million verified decisions for Christ. That's thousands a day. That's where the Bible says the Lord adds daily to the church such as should be saved. Thousands of life groups established. Thousands of churches established. Praise God. Glory to God. And they're teaching. And this other group is, is getting the gospel in, in a little, uh, some of them are in SD cards that you can slip into a phone. Others are battery-powered uh, little recorders, and the people are hearing the gospel in their own language. It's like the... Uh, the, uh, the, the Indian native down in Central America or, or somewhere, I believe it was in uh, southern Mexico, he tells uh, uh, the guy that started Wycliffe Bible Translators, if you're God so smart, how come he doesn't speak my language? 
And he was cut to the heart. Still, we need to get the language, the gospel, the Bible, and these people's language for them so they can hear the word of God for themselves. Praise God. So they can observe all things that Jesus commanded. What's the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and with all your strength. Is it easy? I have not found it to be easy. If you have, I'm, praise God, I'm glad for you. I hope that you continue to find it easy to love God with all of your strength, all of your mind, and all of your heart, and all of your soul. And the second, of course, is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Anybody ever meet somebody that didn't like themselves? <laughs> the first carpenter I ever worked with, he told me that, hey, it's myself I don't like. And I could see why. <laughs> First day on the job, he yelled at me. <laughs> but I worked with him, and eventually he's retired now. We were good friends at, towards the end. He, I took my son on the job. And, hey, Matt, I want you to meet Tony. He taught me everything I know. Tony says, no, I didn't. But it, God I turned it around. Praise God, teaching them to observe all things. And then he ends with a promise. Lo, we don't use this word very much in English anymore. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What's the end of the age? The end of time. The end of time is coming. Time as we know it is going to come to an end. Believe it or not. I don't know how it's going to work, but it's... That's what's happening. So I have a quote from William Booth. He's the founder of the Salvation Army. <laughs> Some people say, oh, I'm not called to tell anybody about Jesus. So he says, not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear Jesus bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. Then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell Jesus whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. C.T. Studd is also known for a famous poem called Only One Life, it will soon be passed. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along, along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still, small voice, gently pleads for a better choice. 
bidding me selfish aims to leave and by and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy or sorrow, thy word to keep, faithful and true whatever the strife, pleasing thee daily in my life. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only one done for Christ will laugh and when I will last when I'm dying how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee